with your powers combined, we are fan holes. Go, go, go fan can't believe there's a chat room big enough to hold all of our present bodies. Wow. <laughs> of all the things I missed about the show, I miss Tony being wrong always. We've already got a me. We don't need another me. <laughs> oh boy, a Bashir episode. <laughs> uh, ah yes, Derek. Lover of lobster women. Defender of Starfire's fidelity. I just want to know, who is the consultant? <laughs> no, I have no eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can relate to a, a talking cat that eats lasagna. I'll okay. do it, but I want to be immediately killed afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, in your Derek lair, do you have a list of that tells you like how to take down the other fan holes? Should we like go crazy? <laughs> how does my stupid voice sound? You sound beautiful. Like ten times sexier. Good job. No one gets us because we don't explain it. Hey guys, welcome back to another time-erific regeneration-atastic episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, but I am not alone. I'm joined by one of my fellow Fanholes and a very special guest. So, fellow Fanhole, give a shout out and then we will introduce our special guest. Hey, this is Justin, and by the end of the episode... I hope to be ladylike, a proper ladylike. Awesome. And we are not alone. We needed some some Doctor Who expertise for this episode because Justin is our main Doctor Who expert, and I am a poor, pitiful excuse for a Doctor Who fan, so we wanted to bring on the very best. We have with us Zach from the Board with Friends podcast. Say what's up, Zach. What's up, Zach? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so so we we did want to <laughs> to kind of go into these Doctor Who episodes, and this is part of a kind of overarching branch of of a series of podcasts that we're releasing this month. And I've made the executive decision we're going to be calling them Attack of the Killer Blue Cupcakes Month. So that that's what we're going to call it. It's a return to Blue Cupcakes, which if you don't know what that is, if you're like Zach and you're messaging me and you're like, what the fuck is he talking about? What are Blue Cupcakes? Well, there's episode 14 where we first talk about Blue Cupcakes, but the simple, easy version is weirdness. For the sake of being weird, we try to pick like strange, unusual, freaky-deaky type shows, episodes, and we decided we wanted to do a Doctor Who episode, and we also kind of wanted it to tie into our Blue Cupcakes month. And so I remember watching the episode Edge of Destruction, which is a first Doctor episode. It's the Hartnell Doctor. And I remember thinking it was really strange. 
And Justin suggested that we talk about a seventh Doctor episode, which is titled Ghostlight, which he found fit our blue cupcake vernacular modus operandi, if you will. And so those were the two episodes that we decided on. That's what we're going to be discussing tonight. But also, we kind of felt like just talking about these two doctors. So I, I guess, uh, you know, the, the simple kind of icebreaker question might be for, for our guest and, and for Justin, like, where were you first introduced to the first doctor? And maybe go into that for a little bit. And then maybe we can talk about, you know, where you might have been introduced to the seventh doctor and kind of go from there. Um, well, the first. First Doctor, I I gotta think way back. So my mother used to have a lot of bootleg VHS tapes and recordings off of PBS. And one day, like I had already, she had introduced me to the Fourth Doctor, the Fifth Doctor, her favorites. And one day I said, I want to watch a First Doctor episode. And I think she just put in a random tape. And I want to say the first one I ever saw was. It might have actually been Edge of Destruction, or it was the Aztecs. I'm not 100% sure which one I saw first. But Edge of Destruction in particular, I know, is one of the first early... One of my first experiences with the First Doctor. To, you know, just to go there. Uh, so I liked the episode a lot, and I was excited when you said we were going to talk about it. Do you, do you like the First Doctor? Uh, I like him... I, I appreciate that he's the first. I find him the most jarring to watch mm. compared to other doctors because he's not the hero that you expect mm. the doctor to be, especially if you've come in you know, to this from watching the modern series or anything like that. He's very much uh, – he, he's almost a different character from all the other ones. Uh, but I, I do like him. I find it interesting that you can almost see his progression on when he decides or rather when the writers decide that all, all of a sudden okay he is now the hero of the show because he's not when you first meet him yeah i remember when, when i f- was first watching an unearthly child and there's a scene in one of those episodes where he's picking up a rock and ian catches him and like the doctor was gonna like brain one of those cavemen in the head with a rock and i was like wait what like th- this is the doctor like the doctor and he was gonna kill that guy but like it the more you watch the first doctor, you see that kind of hard uh, exterior kind of flake away, and he becomes, you know, he does eventually become the nice kind of grandfatherly doctor. But in those early episodes, like he's kind of, you know, suspicious and a little conniving. And, you know, like I said, he, he was going to brain that caveman in the head with a rock. Yeah. Like you could see examples of it in the Daleks, the first episode with the Daleks, where like he deliberately sabotages the TARDIS just. Mm-hmm for the sake of he wants to explore the the planet and Ian and Barbara want him to just keep moving so that they can get him home. He can get them home or in, but then in retrospect, like in the episode, the Aztecs where he yells at Barbara that she can't change history. Not one line, very famous line of the first doctors. And that's when I feel like that's a kind of a turning point for him where he starts to take on a, th- a more authority role. Because uh, if you watch the first few episodes, really Ian is the hero of the piece, and Barbara along with him, not the Doctor himself. Yeah, I think I think like Ian Chesterton and and even like Jamie to a degree. I felt like I, I don't know that I'd necessarily call them the protagonist, but they they did play that heroic role in terms of you know if somebody had to get into like a Captain Kirk like dropkick fight, it it was gonna be it was gonna be Jamie or Ian, not obviously 
Hartnell, you know, getting it, you know, it'd be awesome if he gave somebody a drop kick, but, but it probably, <laughs> it probably wasn't going to go down or anything like that. Um, I, for, for me, uh, I'll just say that this may be a, a rerun if you've listened to previous podcasts, but you know, the, the famous thing is, uh, you know, my, my introduction to Doctor Who is documented on this podcast. You know, Justin dared me to watch episodes and, and being who I am, I mean, I did start with the, the unearthly child, like the the very first thing, even though Justin told me to watch Blink, but I, I I sort of made my own little first list and went through it and everything. And you know, I I do like William Hartnell. I guess maybe just because you know, they, w- however it goes, you never forget your first or, or or however that's supposed to work for the Doctor. But I mean, I I like William Hartnell. I I kind of think of that first series of Doctor Who as like a it seems like it's a contemporary for me with something like Lost in Space. Like, I, I like that it's in black and white. I like that it's science fiction. I, I like that they tried to make the best of it with the budget they had. And I, I kind of find the whole endeavor very charming. I think the fact that essentially, to me, being having an acting background, even though it's not performed in front of a live studio audience or anything. I mean, it is kind of performed live with three cameras. So to me, I I think I'm either very respectful of the performances or very forgiving of the performances just because I understand the constraints and the scenario in which they are filming it. So I, I, I have a lot of affection for, for Hartnell as the first doctor. I mean, I would, I would agree. Uh, he's, it's interesting to watch his, uh, especially his mid to later episodes, maybe even the first, basically his whole run. Uh, because with, you mentioned the constraints of, you know, filming and uh, when you, uh, watch edge of destruction in particular, like you can see him flood lines, which he was kind of famous oh, yeah, for. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they would, you know, it, it, a part of that has to do with, you know, they could only take it, do several takes. They couldn't do multiple takes until it got right. They just had to take the best of what, what it was. Also, it had to do with, unfortunately, William Hartnell suffered from uh, some different diseases. I, I forgot what it was called. Was it osteoporosis? I don't know. He had something about hardening of his uh, his veins or something, which caused problems with his uh, m- making him unable to memorize the lines. Um, so he would flub a lot of, you know, lines and, you know, his pronunciation of things. And that, so that actually led to some interesting quirks, like his, his mispronunciation of Chesterton. Yeah. Uh, he, he never said Ian's last name correctly, and it became like a running <laughs> gag throughout. What, what is it? Because doesn't he, half the time he calls him like Chesterfield or Chester, whatever. He calls him, he calls him everything but his but, actual but name. Chesterton, and, yeah. And it's wonderful. And it's actually a hard name to pronounce when you think about it. Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't blame him for having yeah. trouble with it. But it makes you a little bit more endearing to the first doctor oh, yeah, almost yeah. because of the mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. What what about you, Justin? I don't know. Do I know this? Like do do I know how you were introduced to Hartnell? I I think it was the Aztecs. I think when I I think around two thousand and nine was when I was really getting into Doctor Who. You know, I was watching the tenth Doctor and I went back and watched some ninth Doctor stuff and so I then I decided, okay, I'm gonna check out all this uh, classic stuff. And I tried, like, a few stories from each Doctor, and I think for the first Doctor, it was the Aztecs. Like, I remember someone recommended that, and I really liked it. And as for the first Doctor himself, like, I really liked the first Doctor. And I don't know, 
whenever I want to sit down and just watch some Doctor Who, I easily end up watching the first Doctor or the fifth Doctor. For some reason, I keep coming back to them. I mean, I really love the second Doctor and the fourth. But just to, like, sit down and unwind and you know, watch something, like, it's usually the first or the fifth Doctor. Like, I actually watched most of the, the first Doctor's um, uh, first season two or three months ago just, just for, you know, just for giggles and kicks. So I kind of, you know, I watched Edge of Destruction a few months ago. But I, I really like the first Doctor, kind of like Zach said. I, I, I like his progression, like the just the fact he goes from wanting to brain a caveman in the head with the rock to kind of becoming this uh, irascible, kind of grumpy, grandfatherly person. And he ends up kind of, you know, taking all these, uh, you know, young kids under his wing and, you know, traveling through time and space with them and looking after them. I kind of like that. I think it's it's interesting because I didn't expect to be talking about this, but I I think the Aztecs is my most watched Doctor Who episode period because mm. I, I think they they showed it on that BBC special event thing that I was telling you uh-huh. about when I got to see at least an episode of all the different Doctor shows because the Aztecs was the one they selected for the Hartnell mm-hmm. era and then and then I know I watched it again when I did my sort of I was doing my watch through of of that era like i i basically started from when when we when we did the dare i i started with unearthly child and then you know moved forward to you know all this other the daleks edge of destruction and eventually you know got up to the aztecs again watched it at that point and recently um i guess my dad was working on some writing and and he was curious about i guess sort of multimedia you know pop culture like time travel type notions and also like kind of Aztec culture and things like that, or at least something along those lines, you know, like, like ancient cultures and things like that, that, that were not, you know, tribes that maybe are not completely documented and things like that. And when he started talking to me about that and he said, do you know anything in in popular culture, culture that, that refers to things like that. And I was like, you know, I want to show you something. And so, so we sat down and we watched the Aztecs. So that that's like three times that I've watched the Aztecs. And I, I really do like those episodes. So I, I, I didn't expect to be mentioning that, but I, I think that to me, I'm like, I can't think of any other, you know, cause I, I know I've recently you know gone on this journey with Dr. Who, as far as that goes. And I've only seen so much of the classic doctor and I've seen all of the, I guess the modern doctor, but other than maybe like, I know I liked that Christmas special with Matt Smith where they, they have the, uh, the guy in what is it like the world war two bomber dad that eventually comes home or whatever, where there's all that kind of, I forget what episode that is, but it's like, I, I remember liking that special. So I know I've, I've watched it on a Christmas now and again, but like, other than that, I think, which I probably watched like you know more than once, but I can't think of another Doctor episode that I've watched repeatedly like the Aztecs. So I guess that would speak to maybe my uh, endearment or affection for that version of the Doctor that I I like Justin do keep coming back to him. Yeah, I find a bunch of uh, uh, Hartnell episodes, usually the ones that are you know two to four episodes long his stories uh, I'll watch as background stuff. Like I really like the time meddler, you know, 
episodes like that. Sometimes I'll look at them like, oh, this one's six long. That's a bit long. I don't want. I, I don't want to go through that because then it becomes repetitive. It's like every once in a while you want to watch the. I'll. I've tried rewatching the War Games, for example, from the Second oh, Doctor era. I'm like, wow. oh man, this wow. takes forever to get to the good yeah. part. Isn't that? Isn't that like ten episodes long or it's something? Ten episodes. Right? Yeah. 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 That's not even the long, longest story they ever did. Yeah. 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 The War Games is basically they get captured, they escape, they get captured, they escape over and over and over. <laughs> is like, that, that that's like, all this is? Like, it, come on. Is that how the trope got started? Where they like run down the same hall, like escaping people, like a bunch of different times, like that? That's oh no, the trope started in like episode two. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you got to think of the the perspective of the show. This was a weekly serial, so. You know, we're watching this on DVD or you know Blu-ray or whatever. Where okay, I can watch all ten episodes of the War Games in a row. You know, and so it seems extremely repetitive. But if you were watching this as a weekly serial, kind of like how we used to watch like the the '60s Batman or something like that, like it would always end on a cliffhanger. So yeah, a lot of times the cliffhanger was like they ran around a corner and got caught again, and you know they they just run up to the guards and they have to stop, and the show would just end. And you're like, oh, how's the Doctor going to get out of this one? Same way he got out of it last week, but because it was a week ago, I'm not as, you know, fatigued by it. Yeah, I think I think partly because it's in black and white and partly because of the serialized nature, that that's another reason for me to be very forgiving of it or find it charming because you you have that notion. Like, I, I wouldn't even talk about, like, the Adam West Batman. I talk about, like, the old you know, 40 serials basically where, you know, it's like, that's, that's the same notion. Like every week you'd go to a theater and then, you know, there'd be some kooky thing where, you know, it it looked like somebody got shot in the head or they got blown up or whatever. But then, you know, you come back the next week and you find out, Oh no, Batman opened the door and jumped out at the last minute. Like he's fine. You know, like that kind of thing. And it's, it's to me, it's at least when it's doctor who, and it's in black and white, it's, it's very similar to that. Like, I think, I think, when they start getting into color episodes, I, I'm probably less inclined to find it charming at that point. But, but again, <laughs> I, I understand the conventions of, of the, the way the stories are framed and everything. So it's like, it's not like I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to judge too harshly f- for that or, or, you know, for, for any of the, the different doctors or anything like that. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll transition here, but I, I don't know that I have, too much of a history with Sylvester McCoy and the seventh doctor. I mean, I, I guess for me, like it, it's like one of those things where it's like, he's, he's Radagast, right? Like he's, he's like these other things to me before he was the, the seventh doctor, even though, chrono- you know, in the chronology, that doesn't make sense. I'm just speaking from my personal viewpoint in chronology. Like again, Probably the first, and I think this is the right episode. I was trying to figure it out, but in that BBC special where they they showed you at least one episode from every era of the Doctor, the the point was they 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 basically showed you you know again the Aztecs as the the Hartnell era, and for the Sylvester McCoy one, I'm pretty sure it was Remembrance of the Daleks because what I remember is his companion Ace, who was this kind of you know rough and tough stomping tomboy who basically the the only person if 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 air hammer's listening to this he'll know what the fuck i'm talking about but ace reminds me of uh, a tory from saved by the bell like the new girl who came in and had like the leather jacket and was all <laughs> rough and tumble and shit except for she's like she's like the british version of tory from saved by the bell or whatever and so she comes in right and she like i don't know she like gives like a she puts like a dynamite stick in a dalek and at this point like the daleks have kind of been set up to me as like the ultimate big 
bad. Like I've seen enough Doctor Who to know how important the Daleks are. So it's like one of those things where it's like, oh whoa, she took out a Dalek. Like that's pretty awesome or whatever. So you know, and so that that was my my kind of introduction to Sylvester McCoy. And then and then I guess the only other stuff is like I've seen a few episodes, and now it's it's like that weird reverse kind of notion of like how did I not know about Doctor Who and Doctor Who introduced death's head and i knew who death's head was but i somehow never read death's head first appearance and like i didn't realize that like i didn't read it until years later you know the the whole you know sylvester mccoy interacting with death's head and i'm like you know i was always into transformers and all that it's like how it's like i i remember like you know even in the dare episode i tried to explain i mean i peripherally remembered Doctor Who things by osmosis like I had a second cousin who liked Doctor Who and I remember him watching like you know PBS recorded you know kind of like what you described Zach like he had PBS you know recordings of stuff that was usually probably like the Tom Baker episodes or something and I I could tell he probably had like little I don't know, maybe Daleks or something or other, you know, that that you know, you know, old school stuff from like way back in the day or whatever but like I, I just, to me, it just didn't register. Like, I thought it was, like, on PBS, so it must have been for free, and it was kind of cheaply made, and it didn't, I don't know, I was just a dumb little kid, and it didn't really interest me very much. Like, I was just happy he gave me, like, his first ten issues of Transformers, and I was, like, super happy, and I was reading his copies of Cosmic Odyssey, and that that was all I cared about. But that that's kind of, I don't know, in a roundabout way, I'm kind of like, well, other than Remembrance of the Daleks and, and some reading some some Marvel comics and stuff like that. I, I don't know that I have very much. I mean, other than that, I guess, cause, cause one of the other things I did after we did that dare and I started getting into Dr. Who and trying to watch things, I, since the eighth doctor movie, you know, the Fox movie was, it was easy for me to buy cause it was one movie and, and I could just watch it. So I, I think I got like the, the DVD or whatever, and I watched it. And and I, I remember they made a big stink because it was like a lot of people uh, in the U.S., they, they said the only Doctor Who they knew from PBS or whatever was Tom Baker. So there was like this big push to have Tom Baker be the one who came out of the TARDIS who got like shot by the Chinese gang or whatever the fuck happened in that fucking movie. And like, and so, but instead it's Sylvester McCoy that comes out looking all haggard as shit and gets shot and then, you know, regenerates into the eighth doctor, you know, like it regenerates into Paul McGann. Right. And then he goes off and has like Scully Mulder X-File nonsense with, um, with, uh, what's his face, Eric Roberts or whatever. Right. And, and, but that, that, I guess that's my other introduction to Sylvester McCoy. Right. Like those are the three things I can point to is the comics that the eighth doctor TV movie that I, I saw early on when I was trying to get into quote unquote classic who fandom and then remembrance of the Daleks, but I, again, I, I would you know turn it over maybe to Zach. Like, like how did you like? Because you you said maybe you hadn't seen Ghostlight before we got on tonight. So like, did you have much of an introduction with Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor, or is it kind of scattershot? Or how how did that go down? So if I remember correctly, and you got to remember, I was like five or six at the time. Um, so my mother had a bunch of Doctor Who books with that, like explained everything, you know, throughout the eras. And I remember seeing the sixth and the seventh doctor, you know, there are portions of those books. And 
I had always asked her, like, you know, how come you don't have any episodes with them? She had like part of Trial of a Time Lord for the Sixth Doctor, and she had nothing for the Seventh. And she had a friend who was working with her at the time, who also liked Doctor Who. Who he was the one who actually introduced her to it. Um, uh, he had a couple Seventh Doctor episodes, and I think it was Dragonfire, uh, the one where Ace is, uh, where you meet Ace. Mm-hmm. He let her borrow it so I could watch it. And I really don't remember much of it. I wasn't that impressed. And maybe it's kind of like what you said, how, how like when Doctor Who went to color, your expectations are raised. Mm. Uh, um, that era of Doctor Who, my expectations were raised. Like, okay, I can forgive the classic, you know, the black and white stuff for being wobbly sets and, you know, messed up lines and stuff like that. When you watch the, you know, the Pertwee to baker to even davison like there's a level of quality to the scripts there's something about the sylvester mccoy and even the colin baker era where i'm just like all right you you could have kicked it up a little little bit here you know whether it was quality of you know the sets or quality of the special effects or whatever it just didn't seem to match the time frame that i was watching and then i never watched anything of him again until many years later with the tv movie when it came out I saw him again. I, re- I recognize that he is the seventh doctor and, but he's only in it for the first like 20 minutes yeah, for yeah. some reason. And he doesn't have almost any lines. Yeah. It wasn't until much later when I started collecting the DVDs that I even bothered getting some of Sylvester McCoy's stuff. I saw remembrance of the dialects. I saw silver nemesis. I saw survival. The last episode, basically just the, the highlights of his era. And then eventually I, I think I was talking to you before we started recording. I, I saw a uh, time of the Ronnie which I thought was the most bonkers thing in the world until we watched ghost light. Um, it, <laughs> Cause it was just crazy. Like the, the choices in that episode, I was blown away by like someone was doing some sort of psychedelic drug when they made that episode. Uh, Cause it's pretty crazy watching it. So what, what about you, Justin? Like, were you introduced to Sylvester McCoy on psychedelic drugs? Like how did that go down? <laughs> And though I think the first one I watched was Remembrance of the Daleks, which I really liked. And then the next one I remember was Curse of Fenric, and I really like the Curse of Fenric. And then I think I jumped back and I watched like Time of the Ronnie and you know some of those other like first season of McCoy episodes. Like I, I really don't like his first uh season of stories. I think they're kinda weak, but but then, like the next two, like there's a lot of stories in there that I really like. I really like Silver Nemesis, but that's probably because it's Cyberman, and I just really like Cyberman. And then I really like Battlefield because it's got um the Brigadier in it, and I like the Brigadier; like he's one of my favorites. And then I got to Ghostlight, and then I'll, I guess I'll save my thoughts for Ghostlight, you know, later on. But um, I really, really like the Seventh Doctor, you know, just despite his kind of weak first season. I think. Yeah, I don't blame Sylvester McCoy. I like him. Mm-hmm. Um, I find him to be intriguing, and he definitely he kind of like Tom Baker. Like he takes it like I'm an alien. You know, I, I don't have to play this like a normal person. He does a good job with that. It's just I feel like what you said. His first season and most of the episodes I saw, saw his scripts were not that great, and I think that had to do with who they had available at the time for writing. Like I think most of his scripts are written by the same writing team. Uh, Pip and Jane Baker, I think, are their names. Mm. A lot of a lot of bakers in Britain. Uh, but yeah, they, they wrote a lot of his episodes and a lot of the Colin Baker stuff because they just kept going back to them because they didn't have any writers available, and their scripts are usually not that great. Zach, is is Time in the Rock 
Ronnie, is that the one where the Ronnie dresses up like Mel? Yes. That's oh, that's so weird. Yeah. It's a very weird episode. Uh, so, Derek, basically, the Ronnie is like another renegade Time Lord. Yeah, yeah. I, I, she, I, she... I've heard of the Ronnie, I think, from like you and a bunch of other podcasters. But I was telling Zach, I don't think I've ever seen like an episode with her in it. So, basically, she's trying to trick the Doctor because he's like in his post-regeneration haze. And so, like, she dresses up like his companion. And she's got, she's got like this kind of, I don't know... Weird, like eighties get up and like poofy, like red hair. <laughs> so bizarre. Uh. So I, I guess, I mean, if, if without further ado, like we we should probably just get into talking about the the episodes we came to break down. But I, I think we're gonna start with Edge of Destruction, and I think uh, Justin has uh, prepped a synopsis for Edge of Destruction, and then and then we can all sort of shoot the breeze about it. As they slowly recover from the shock of being thrown to the TARDIS floor, the Doctor, Susan, Ian, and Barbara all seem to be acting strangely. Unexplained events occur and suspicions are raised that an alien force may have entered the ship. The Doctor even accuses Ian and Barbara of sabotage. It gradually dawns on the travelers that what they have been experiencing is an attempt by the TARDIS itself to warn them of something. The Doctor finally realizes the fast return switch he used when leaving Skyro has stuck, and the ship has been plunging back to the beginning of time and its own destruction. Once the problem of faulty spring is corrected, the, the TARDIS returns to normal, and the Doctor makes some apologies for his behavior. Yeah, so I guess the the reason why this particular episode stood out to me when when I was watching is... I'm just trying to think of, of how to sort of frame it, but I feel like I was watching those first two serials, and, and you're slowly getting introduced to this cast of characters. You're getting introduced to the Doctor. You're getting introduced to Susan being his granddaughter. You're getting introduced to Chesterton and, and Barbara, right? Like, Ian and Barbara as the companions and everything. And, like, I, I'm I'm kind of wondering if maybe the comparisons that I'd want to make to it is I kind of feel like this is Doctor Who's version of the naked time or the naked now. And like, I think Mm. Star Trek is guilty of this too. It's like those fall really early in Mm -hmm. the seasons. And I guess the reason why I think it comes off as strange to me is that the concept of this seems to be that, there's there's aspects of amnesia there's aspects of people acting kind of paranoid and and they're suspicious and and they do things that are out of character but i kind of like those episodes of star trek that i mentioned i i kind of am a little suspect of like did you really know these characters well enough to know that they're acting out of character because i get, i think at this point like I don't, you know, it's like, to me, like, you know, of course the standout moment is when Susan picks up those scissors and she's ready to, like, stab a bitch. And, like, she goes all, like, she goes, she goes all, like, Garth Algar and shit, you know? It's like, we fear change, and she, like, stabs the fucking scissors into the, you know, and she's all, like, fucking freaking out and stuff. And it's like, I get that, like, now in hindsight, having seen the early episodes and watched the whole entire, you know, series until Susan leaves the show, right? 
in terms of her character, I understand now that this is out of character for Susan. But I think at the time I was watching it, I didn't know Susan well enough to make that like value judgment. So I think part of it was like, dude, man, what's up with Susan? Like, why is she all freaky deaky all of a sudden? Like, is something up with her? Like, does she want to kill a bitch? Like, what's going, like, what, like, is, like, why is she, like, murderous all of a sudden? Like, why, why did this go down exactly? And I, I think the reason why I find it blue cupcakey is, I get the explanation is supposed to be that they're, the, the way they're going back to the dawn of time is having an impact on them in the ship. And the fact that it's only shot in the TARDIS, you know, there, there's an aspect to it that makes it all very claustrophobic because they never leave the TARDIS and, and, and they're slowly getting more and more paranoid. And, it, you know, but to me, I'm kind of like, well, the amnesia aspect of it, I was like, that seems to affect Ian. It seems to affect... Susan, I don't really, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but my interpretation is it doesn't really seem to affect the doctor and it doesn't really seem to affect Barbara. So I'm just kind of like, does that just mean they're the, like, are they like the weak-willed minds? Like where it's like Jabba is like, you know, the doctor and Barbara where he won't get fooled by like forced mind tricks, but like Ian and, and Susan, like they'll totally be like, I don't see the droids and they'll just go off their merry way or whatever. Like, is that, is that what that means? Like, I, I don't know. Like to me, like some of the, the, the explanation of, of why those things, like I get, I get that like the TARDIS saw that there was a danger for them doing this, but I don't get why that resulted in them acting strangely. Like, like I get that the TARDIS itself like all the strange stuff that's going down on the ship, you know, is 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 due to its warning them. But I don't get how that actually affects the physical people on the ship. I guess is is where my confusion lay in terms of, or, or why I found that weird. I guess if that makes any sense. I mean, I know from later episodes, the censor rights they established that Susan is sensitive and to she's telepathic almost um and i believe and we know from much later episodes the the doctor is too to a certain extent um so and i I don't know from the the writing perspective they had that in mind as to why susan acted the way she did uh but yes i believe it is the tardis itself is trying to warn them so it's trying to manipulate their thoughts and you know what they're doing and also it's probably panicking as well, which is, you know, because it's about to be destroyed by being sent back back to the beginning of time. Um, that That's part of the problem. I mean, this isn't the first time that the TARDIS has been flung backwards in time like this either. I think what's amazing about this episode is that it was written solely because of it, the, the whole purpose of it. You know, why it exists is because they were trying to save money. It's a ship in the bottle story just so that they didn't have to build other sets they only had to pay their main actors and they only had to use the existing sets that they created for the the TARDIS and I think it works beautifully because of that like you know think about like other shows that we like like uh, Beast Wars and stuff like that less cast more uh, focus on characterization this was a chance to get to you know to see these characters interact with each other without outside influences and because of that you get to see you know what they really think of each each other the doctor is still very um you know scared of you know these people are in his home same thing with susan these people are invading their home you know at first they they get 
flung off into you know the the Stone Age together. They have to deal with that. Then they get flung into you know the Scarrow. They have to deal with the Daleks. Now they're just on the ship. What what are their intentions? The Doctor doesn't know. Would Ian Barbara and Barbara actually try to sabotage the ship and blackmail him or whatever it was he said to get him to take them home? You know, and maybe even Susan is not is worried about that as well. But she's her first concern is to her grandfather. You know, make sure he's okay. Um, but I think ultimately her her misgivings about you know when, when she saw how far the doctor is willing to go to you know get rid of Ian and Barbara because he suspects them of what they you know that they're doing something wrong. She doesn't like that either. So it's interesting to see all these characters you know in this melting pot of the of the four of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I agree with you at least in terms of it's a great opportunity for the actors to showcase some of their their talents and abilities, and I think I think they sell all the 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 needed emotions very well. I I guess I'm I'm going to try and break this down because I feel like you've just given me some insight to to some of the behavior that's going on. But like, if the TARDIS is in panic mode, then would you say that? that Susan, you know, going all, you know, scissor stabby, like, is like a reflection of the TARDIS's panic mode, like, like sort of personified in human form. Like, does that sound like a good interpretation of it? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the problem is like knowing about from, you know, from a story perspective, I could say, yes, that's probably what it is. But from, like outside looking at the production of it, that's probably not what they, maybe not what they had intended because okay. they didn't know where this was going either when they wrote this. Cause I guess that's, that's the, the part I think I I've also think I've isolated where my confusion lies. Cause if, I mean, they, they do ultimately come to the conclusion like, yes, the TARDIS is kind of a living entity and it's trying to warn the travelers of, you know, their impending doom basically. Right. But if that's the case, wh- why would you make two of the people that you want to warn amnesic? Like, or, or are they amnesic just because there was an explosion and they bumped their heads and it's just convenience that like both Ian and Susan have some amnesia from the bumps or, or is that also a reflect of, of what the TARDIS is, doing to them or showing them or what have you like that. I think that's part of where my confusion lies as well. I don't know if I can answer that one. No, no, no. I, uh, I, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not like, I'm not saying you have to have an answer. I'm just kind of throwing it out there because I, to me, like that's, that's, that's what I like to discuss in these kind of cupcake type episodes. Cause it's like that. That's why it's like, why is the cupcake blue? You, you don't really have an answer. They just did it to do it. Like you're saying they, they had a script to write. They had a, a, a goal of, of having this kind of, like you said, ship in a bottle episode and they didn't entirely know where they were going either. But to me, it's still fun to try and maybe, you know, suss it out or figure out like what, what the deal is or whatever. Like, what about you, Justin? Like what, what, what do you think about any of that kind of stuff? Like, is that how you interpreted it? Do you, did you interpret what was going on differently? That's a good enough explanation. I think, I don't know, like this, to me, this story is really bizarre. Like I remember the first time I watched this, like I bought that Dr. Who, like in the beginning DVD set. And that had like, like an unearthly child, the Daleks, and this episode. 
So I think I'd like spent the whole day just binging Doctor Who. So when I got to Edge of Destruction, it was like four or five, five in the morning and I was a little tired. <laughs> but but then when like everyone started acting weird, like I kind of like had to sit up and go, wait, what's going on? Because like Ian wakes up and the first thing he says, he's like, oh, Miss Wright, are you working late? Like he has no idea that he's even in the TARDIS. Like he thinks he's still like back at school. And I was like, what is going on with these characters? And then Susan with the scissors and everything. And I mean, the doctor, I mean, the first doctor, I mean, up to this point, he's been sneaky and he's been a bit paranoid, but like he's extremely paranoid in this episode. And even though these characters have had a couple of adventures together and they've you know they've overcame you know the the caveman and the, the daleks and they've had to work together like they're still they're still at that early stage where they're a little, little unsure of each other like you know kind of like zach said like the doctor doesn't know that ian and barbara like he wouldn't sabotage the tardis i mean we know that they wouldn't and we know from you know future adventures that they will have that they would never do that but you know at this point the doctor doesn't know that and then also, like Zach said, like Susan is extremely protected of her of her grandfather. Like she doesn't want, you know, anything to happen to him. She doesn't want them to take advantage of him or anything. And then, you know, Ian and Barbara. I mean, they had good intentions when they first, you know, barged their way inside of the TARDIS. But now they're kind of, you know, stuck. I th think Ian calls it. He's at one point Ian calls the TARDIS though, you know, crazy merry-go-round with no end or something. Like that's kind of how they see it. I think the story does it does a good job of putting some of those concerns that characters have of each other like uh to the side like they managed to put aside their paranoia with this episode but i I don't know I just i mean I've seen this episode four or five times, and I still kind of like I don't know I'm kind of like you Derek I'm like why is the tardis making them act this way like what's is the amnesia from the TARDIS's influence? Is it from the explosion that throws them to the ground? Like I, I don't know. And it seems it's it's such a weird thing too. It's it seems almost trivial. Like this whole thing is because of a faulty switch or or or, or a spring in the TARDIS. It's so it's so bizarre. I mean, yeah, I don't know. yeah. I I mean, because I tend to focus on like what advantage did the TARDIS get out of making Susan like want to stab people you know like that that's that's what <laughs> yeah. i was like i was like how is that gonna fix the switch right like like i don't know like it, it just seems like there's there's there there, there would have seemed to have been a better way to do it but again like like zach's saying they, they didn't quite know where they were going with it so i mean i guess you can you know th to me it's just it's kind of fascinating and it, and also it's it's kind of awesome you were saying how you're like watching it originally at like four or five in the morning because this is totally like that it's got that weird like like kind of tilted camera twilight zone feel to it all of a sudden because mm. of of how they're reacting to each other and and the paranoia aspect of it like really it it does feel like like instead of it being to, to me, like, I felt like the first, you know, Unearthly Child and the Daleks, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm watching Lost in Space. Like, this is, you know, Danger Will Robinson. It's in black and white. Like, it's very charming. Like, yes, the sets are not, you know, multi-million dollar sets, but I get what's going on. They're on an alien planet. They got robots. They got this and that. And then all of a sudden, like, this episode turned into, like, a, a Rod Serling type 
you know, vibe or feel. And you're like, it kind of makes you question like, oh, is, is this, is this how these characters are exactly? Like, I appreciate that this is a moment for all these uh, characters and or actors to interact just with, you know, between the four of them. But the fact that they're not, it's like that notion of when you're, I'm going to make a comic book analogy, but you know, so forgive me because that's what I do. But it's like, it's like when you're, when you're reading DC versus Marvel and, and it's, it's professor Hulk and not the savage Hulk that everybody's used to. It's like, it's Ben Riley as the clone Spider-Man and not the actual Spider-Man in the versus battle, you know, where you're like, Oh wait, like, you know, it's like this fight against Punisher would, uh, and Batman would be really cool if it was actually Bruce Wayne, but this is Azrael, you know, so it's like, it's like the characters are slightly askew because of this scenario. So it's like, it's great that they can get through that and then come to be, I guess, better comrades or, or, or closer knit, you know, group because of that experience. But in the actual experience, you're kind of like, are these people for real or, or, or is this just, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think now we, we pretty much know, like, it's it's due to outside circumstances affecting them. But when you're first watching it, you you don't really know that. It's a mystery to you. Like, and, and in some sense, you become just as paranoid as the people on the TARDIS, where you're like, is Susan really going to kill a bitch? Like, is that, is that really, like, you, to me, I think the first time I watched it, I, I was, I was thinking ill of her intentions, you know, like, whereas I think now watching it in hindsight, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I know the TARDIS is just fucking with her. She's not really, she, she, the real Susan wouldn't do that, but this is, this is extenuating circumstances. So, yeah. Well, I'm also thinking about it from the perspective of, okay, if the TARDIS is trying to communicate to them, the TARDIS can't talk except in one Matt Smith episode. And that actually could be an explanation for this the TARDIS is trying to communicate in the form of you know what it has available to it which is okay I got a slightly psychic you know kid and I got lights and you know doors that I can open I got a water machine that I can say is like out of water like but still give water to let them know like something is off so it's trying to communicate in ways that we wouldn't you know normally understand like if I have a problem i would turn to you and say hey i have a problem like my head hurts or something like that the the tardis is trying to like indicate to them to like hey look something's wrong so and maybe like susan's outburst and again i'm just i'm extrapolating a uh going on 60 year old episode uh you know what 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 the writers are thinking like maybe her reason for stabbing the pill was that's the tardis in frustration that it's not being understood yeah you know Something to that effect. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, I'm like, I mean, that seems like very plausible, except for the fact that she goes back and gets the scissors again and looks like murderous, <laughs> like she's gonna like yeah. stab somebody again, and it's like one of those things well, where again, it's like miscommunication. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just one of those things. It's like to me, it's the difference between okay, you can't tell me that your head hurts. Well, yeah, great. Like you know, slap an egg on my forehead or something, but don't like don't grab a brick and beat me to death. You know, like because that's not gonna help, right? Like so, just get yeah. some ibuprofen. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's like that's all I want. That's all I want. I just want some Advil. Come on. Like, like there's there's that scene where Barbara basically puts 
the clues together. She's like, oh, the water machine that says it's empty, but it's not. The clock that melts, and uh, there was something else. Like, she's adding all the clues together, and she's like, the TARDIS is trying to tell us something. And I was like, uh, okay, I, I I would not have arrived at that conclusion at all. Like, if it, if it was me in the TARDIS, like I'd be dead. Like I would not have added that stuff Dude, up. Dude, Bar- Barbara's straight up Adam Westing the shit, right? It's like it's like <laughs> she's she's like sitting there going like, the water machine has no water. It means that the TARDIS wants us to go to Fifth and Bleaker on Blaker Avenue to the Batcave, <laughs> Robin. And you're just like, how did you get that out of the fucking? There's no water. I don't get it. But yeah, he he gets. If it. I had. One question is, why was Barbara so unbelievably scared about the melted clock? <laughs> yeah, that was a weird reaction. I, I was like, what, what's at, the first time I saw that? I was like, what's wrong with the clock? I think I had to go back and I was like, <laughs> the first time I saw it, I had to ask, know. what the hell is that thing? I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was a clock. <laughs> I'm wondering if at that point in time, everybody's so uh, focused on like a uh, nuclear winter doomsday clock that when you see the clock melt, you figure, oh, it's happened, right? Like, <laughs> that's gone down. Maybe that's why she's, like, screaming in terror. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, I I, I mean, I think, I, I feel like we're kind of winding down the whole Edge of Destruction talk, but just in case, does, does anybody have any, like, final thoughts or anything that they want to say before we uh, take a quick break and, and move on to the, the next episode? I mean, all Oh, goose aside, I like this episode. I find it interesting, like especially if you watch the modern series or you've watched later classic Who, to go back, back and see this and see the interactions between the characters. It, it's a glimpse into like what the first Doctor was really like in his early days, um, and it's it, it's it, it's it can be jarring, but if you watch it from the perspective of like this was the genesis of the show this is when they were still trying to find their footing and figure out what the heck they had on their hands and it's only two episodes long under unlike like the dalek episodes which i think is like six episodes long so it's a quick and easy way to look at it plus it's just cool to see the rest of the tardis i think it's a very weird episode i'm glad Derek picked it for blue cupcakes and all also, Derek comparing it to an Adam West Batman, I think, is very apt because there's some weird logicking going on. <laughs> but um, it, it is enjoyable. I, I just, I don't know. Like, like I said, I've watched it three or four times, and sometimes I'm just like, uh, it's, it's still. Even after seeing it that many times, I'm just like, this is still so bizarre that I don't know. But it, it's definitely worth watching. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I I feel like if you if you enjoy Doctor Who and and you're you you either want to get into the classic Doctors or you you have an interest in in Doctor Who just in general and you haven't checked this out, I, I definitely think it's 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 small, it's bite sized, and it's it's definitely worth checking out. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then when we come back, we will be discussing, as promised. Ghost Light and Attack of the Killer Blue Cupcakes will continue, so stay tuned. Board with friends. I mean, I'm not allowed to tell that story because Zach wants to stay on topic. Stay on topic. All right, well, we got a little off topic. Um, <laughs> Again, 40%. I'm lazy and I'm a mooch. What I do? This is not that kind of podcast. Welcome to Board with Friends. 
Board with Friends, the podcast about hobby gaming and showing that we love a good quest. I'm Zach Dyer. Feel free to email us at boardwithfriends42 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at BoardWithFriend. Like us on Facebook or check out our website, boardwithfriends.blogspot.com. All right. Welcome back. So we are back from that awesome commercial break. And now we are here to continue our Blue Cupcakes discussion of Doctor Who. And as we've kind of led you to believe, we are now talking about a seventh Doctor episode. This is the episode titled Ghost Light with Sylvester McCoy as the seventh Doctor. And I am going to turn it over to my comrade, Justin, and have him read a synopsis so we know just what kind of crazy blue cupcakey hijinks we're about to get into. So take it away, Justin. The Doctor brings Ace to Gabriel Chase, an old house that she once burnt down in her hometown of Perryville. The year is 1883, and the house is presided over by the mysterious Josiah Smith. However, trying to get Ace to accept her guilt is not the real reason the Doctor came here. A mysterious and mentally unstable being lurks below. And that is a very short and sweet synopsis of Ghostlight. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface, but I stole it from the Doctor Who wiki because when Derek and I were talking about these episodes, he was like, are you going to write the synopsis for, for these episodes? And I was like, I can do that. And then I was like, oh my my God, how do I even begin to describe <laughs> Ghostlight? Like, it's so complicated and convoluted. I, I think I think if I was going to do an on-the-fly thing, I'd probably just say that, like, uh, I was like, I don't know if, if Zach's familiar with this character, but I was like, the alien is like Glorian from the Incredible Hulk and Brainiac, like, combined together. Like, he's like this golden, like, little alien god-type character, and he's like, uh, my understanding of it was he's collecting all these specimens of earth life from throughout time and he's sticking them in cabinets and kind of freezing them like to to basically have them in perpetuity you know like kind of like brainiac collects cities and everything like that and and then it's like he throws a little superboy prime hissy fit when he realizes like earth has evolved without him you know like and and now he's lost track of like all his action figures or something. It'd be like me, like yelling about like, you know, Oh, I have this one Dr. Doom action figure. And then they updated his costume. And now I'm totally behind the times. And I'm really upset that there's like now seven, you know, Dr. Doom action figures, all with different costumes. And I don't know what the hell's going on. So I decide, screw it. I'm just going to, I'm going to destroy it all. Cause this is, this is ridiculous. They should have, they should have waited for me, you know, type thing. Like that's that, that, that's the way I could sort of sum it up. But, I mean, that's, again, it's it's not a very in-depth synopsis of it. It's just kind of the best analogy I can make for what I, what I saw. And then, and then the, the, the interactions between the Doctor and Ace with this group of people, like, it, it's like this mosaic of people, kind of like, you know, they, they just all conglomerate because of, you know, I guess the events of how they were, I mean, I, I kind of feel like all these people were sort of abducted, but I don't know. Anyway, it's, and, and, and again, like this, um, I don't know. I, I watched the, the, the documentary about it too. And, and I felt like 
even the people that worked on it didn't quite understand it either. So I didn't feel <laughs> bad for like not having complete comprehension of, of what was going on because I, I guess if you feel like you missed a piece, like I think the people making it felt like they missed a piece too. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even talked about like control or Nimrod, but um, uh, I remember the first time I watched this, I was trapped at a friend's house during a snowstorm and uh, two of my friends, they were playing some dumb game on Xbox. And so I was kind of like curled up on the couch. Uh, I had a laptop and headphones and I was kind of like looking for something to do. And then I just kind of ended up watching Ghostlight. So I'm kind of like sitting you know, in this dark room in a big blanket, you know, storm, a snowstorm outside. I'm kind of like in my own little world trying to figure out what's going on in this episode. And I don't know, this is an episode I, I've watched several times. I, I do like this episode. I'll admit, like, the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, wait. I, I had to, like, stop and take a moment. I was like, so this is that, and that leads to that. And I'm like, okay, I, I think I got it. And then I, I've watched it a few more times over the years. And then, you know, today I was, like, kind of out for a walk, and I was thinking about Ghostlight. And I was like, I watched it again today, and I was like, oh, no, I think I failed. Like, I don't think this is weird enough for Blue Cupcakes. And then I was kind of like, well, I've seen this like four or five times. Like, it's not weird to me anymore, but hopefully Derek thinks it's weird and almost impenetrable. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I completely understood what was going on. I mean, I understand the concept of the doctor brings Ace there to deal with trauma like because that's that's how the house ties into it like and i guess the backstory is that she she burned down this house in the present and and then and then he kind of i mean again going to the whole idea of this version of the doctor is a man of mystery you know maybe that includes keeping secrets so he doesn't outright tell her that's where they're going like she thinks they're going to some fun escapade or whatever and and she doesn't quite know where they are at first and then this got me looking into the history of women wearing tuxedos because you know ace, <laughs> ace I, knew, I knew you would key in on that I ace, knew it. ace goes to like basically like when it starts out they're like oh she's clearly not dressed in proper attire because of the time frame that they travel back to and she's like what what like i'm dressed just fine eh you know or whatever you know and it's like but then you know the doctor convinces her to go off with like another lady of the house and you think they're gonna go off and like you know wear dresses and go you know i don't know uh you know frolic in the the, the garden or something like that but instead Ace convinces this lady to dress in a tuxedo, and she's dressed in a tuxedo. And for some reason to me, I felt like that was, like, super-duper 80s. But, like, when I looked, because I was just curious, I was like, well, when do women, like... I mean, I, there must be, like, some record of when, you know, women started wearing, like, tuxedos and stuff. And, like, it seemed to go back to, like, the early 1900s, too, because it was, like, there were, like, photos and, like, things of, like, films where, like, this Chinese actress from, like, silent films was wearing a tuxedo and, like, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I was, like, sitting there going, oh, weird. And then and then it was, like, you know, speaking of, you know, current events that will date this, you know, Doris Day was wearing a tuxedo in, like, the 50s or whatever. You know, so there was, like, all this stuff that I was, like, looking at and kind of going, oh, that's kind of interesting. And so I, I guess I, I, 
I just found like there's a lot of odd to me. I thought it was odd, but there were like a lot of odd visuals that were going on. And and you brought up Nimrod. I mean, dude, the butler's name is Nimrod, and he's a Crow Magnon. Come on, man, Nimrod. Like seriously. And then and then it looked like it was like supposed to be this love letter to Arthur Conan Doyle. Like he totally looked like the the caveman in the Lost World, but he's got a butler's suit on. <laughs> And then, and then, like, what's awesome is, like, Sylvester McCoy, like, he tips him with a fucking tooth. It's so awesome, because he's like, oh, this is a great tip. Thank you. You know, like, I'm gonna, uh, he's like, he's gonna bite it and, like, rub it on his fucking, I don't know. It's, that that's pretty awesome. Like, it's pretty funny to me. So, Zach, what did you think of uh, Ghostlight? Although I think I already know the answer. I had to check to see if I missed an episode. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like some bonkers Doctor Who, but this was uh, I, I, I is weird, but I feel like it was missing pieces to help you figure out what the weirdness meant and what the mystery was. Like th- there was too much going on, but not enough information. I feel in this episode. Yeah, there, there, there are a lot of moving parts. You know, like I said in the synopsis, like. The doctor bringing Ace there is a big part of the story, which, like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but, like, the doctor kind of, like, training Ace, like, that was going to be something that would have continued into the next season if they'd had a next season, right? Like, didn't they do some books about, like, the doctor taking Ace to, like, Gallifrey to, like, the the academy or something? I Yeah, I think I remember reading something about that, too. It was supposed to be, like, Ace's last season where... Mm-hmm. ultimately whatever he was training for her for had its you know its climax um but i i don't know what it was and i mean i think they were supposed to eventually reveal that like the doctor was like a god of some sort like it, there was a lot of crazy ideas on where they were going with that i'm glad they didn't get that another season because it let the show simmer and then and when it came back, it's like, okay, they put the mystery back into it, but not, you know, too far off from what we have now. I mean, the episode itself, uh, th- there was some, there were, there, there were definitely things I liked. Um, I, I too, I liked what the Butler, I thought that was pretty funny. You know, when he tips him with a tooth, he's like, Oh, this is, this is from my native tribe. Like, you know how to, this is worth so much. And everyone else is like, that's gross. Why? You have a tooth in your pocket, um, you know, like stuff like that. But then there was, I, I don't know, there was there, the creepy ladies in the closet. There was the yeah. The, the... There's that preacher who's like railing against Darwin, who ends up becoming a monkey himself. Yeah, that that was yeah. awesome. That gave me a total like Planet of the Apes vibe, where he's like, he's like, <laughs> what, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, like he is a monkey, and the dude's like laughing his ass off at him, you know, because he's like. I mean, what's kind of, it's funny too, because like, they don't show you his monkey hands until the very last scene, but like, even just the way he looks in general, you're kind of like, dude, what are you talking about? You look like a fucking monkey as it is. Like, you don't even need to transform into a monkey because he's, the way he's got his mutton chops and all that other stuff, you're like, oh man. And then he's sitting there eating the banana and you're like, come on, please, bro, please. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was, that was a pretty awesome scene. Uh, That was so if I understood it right, Josiah was originally a like a primitive lizard, and like he just kept evolving. Am I right, or did I get did I read too much into that? 
Because they said, my, oh, those were his former husks that were that, walking around. Yeah, that's my understanding of it, too. He just managed to keep evolving. Like those those things you see in the basement that attack Ace and Nimrod, like those are his uh, former husk, I guess. And they, for whatever reason, I guess they're still active. I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of weird. That's, that's another weird part of it. But, yeah, he just keeps he keeps evolving. And I guess he's evolved to the point where he's, you know, the doctor, he's like, oh, you're finally uh, Victorian now. Congratulations. And he wants to kill Queen Victoria and take over British Empire for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> uh, the, the, the lizards think that, um, you know, we don't like this system of government. We need to we need to take it down. Well, well, well you're, a, you're a lizard. <laughs> Why are you even, like, considering running for office or, you know... <laughs> And then uh, the the other thing uh, we've mentioned her a couple times. What the hell was control? <laughs> I, I think she was like Agra from the Dark Crystal merged with Hagar from Voltron. Like, but I mean, that's all I got out of it. Where she's like, you that's know, the best description I've ever heard. That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I just I was just kind of like, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, she has the the raspy, you know, like Bobby, you know, voice or whatever. Where she's like always kind of talking and then she's like all in shadows and whatever i mean i guess what her deal was she was the unaffected party like she was supposed to be the i mean that's why her name's control right she's the control subject like she does not change i guess is the idea and then and then through the course of that episode like they actually try to like make her a victorian lady i mean that was the that was the concept right i mean i don't i don't know if i completely saw the execution of that, but that's that was the intent, I guess, of, of what it was, even though she was a, I don't know, she she was a strange, kind of odd duck of a character, I guess. The way I understood it is Control was a part of White's or, uh, survey or cataloging of, like, you know, Earth when yeah. there were dinosaurs, and she was supposed to remain exactly as she was, but she ended up changing the most i guess because mm. for some reason she wants to you know, you know the first time you see her she's all like dressed in rags and hunched over and then at the end she's like uh dressed as a victorian woman and she's finally able to like speak properly but she was dressed in rags like it wasn't what were, were the rags supposed to be her skin and she was like hyper evolving very quickly i i don't know i, I guess that's from like being locked in the basement. The only thing I say is like her voice was different when you first see her while she's behind the door. And then it becomes the lady doing a really bad, you know, <laughs> impression of a smoker. And then, <laughs> and, and then she's like, kind of talking normal. It's like, what was on Sunday to become one? And I hope I enjoy tobacco for many years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Doctor Girlfriend. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, Derek, like, was this blue cupcakey enough for yeah, you? And yeah, did I, you like I, it though? Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I liked it. Like, I, 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 I don't know. Like, like, the, the, like, you're both going to Java. <laughs> I know, I know. Like. Dude, I don't know, like, like the light, like, dude, dude was like Glorian from the Incredible Hulk, like, Glorian's not a cool Hulk villain, like, I, I don't know, man, like, that's, like, I, I, I think I 
enjoy like I'll give it this like I I wanted to see the seventh doctor and ace come out okay when ace felt bad that she got brought to this place that she never wanted to be in ever again like i i felt empathy towards the character so i mean in that sense like i i think this episode did some some good things as far as that goes like i i i feel like i like ace as a companion at this point like i mean she 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 you know she's she again like i i kind of think of her as like the the british tory from saved by the bell but i i enjoy you know the character and i feel like like i i have a a a, a additional appreciation for her so as far as that goes like the episode helped me add to that appreciation but i mean like the 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 guy in the closet, and he's like doing the the maxi zoom dweeby light thing, and like the the I, I mean, and then all the the Stepford children cuckoo maids or whatever that are all lined up and shit and trying to shoot the light, but they can't shoot. I don't know. Like I I, I mean, yeah, I don't. I, and the dude's a lizard. <laughs> and what? And and then and then and then they 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 put them in drawers. I mean, they just roll it like like they're fucking um um. What do you call it? It's like it's like it's a uh, what do you call the thing? The morgue or whatever. Like like I was just like I don't know, man. Except for it's like a Victorian morgue, and they're like in mahogany like like morgues or whatever. Like I I don't know. It was all that like that stuff was all very very weird. That that one poor policeman got turned into soup, like literally. I thought that yeah, was weird. Yeah yeah. Well, because because it's like it's like that mansion is a menagerie in and of itself. It's like mm-hmm. why like it's like it's it's sort of like a fucked up science fiction version of Clue. Like why there's a Bobby like <laughs> there with a fucking caveman with a a golden like alien with like the control going like blah blah blah. You know like what I and then and then like that's the other thing like the common criticism like i was looking on imdb and like this dude rated it like one star in the episode he, and he was like he didn't understand what the fuck was going on and he's like this is terrible and blah 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 blah, blah. but the one thing i thought he, he said that i thought had some merit was it's like why does no one i mean i i think this is a doctor who trope maybe so so maybe it's not fair but it's just like no nobody questions why they're in that house I mean, it seemed like when the episode started, like, Sylvester McCoy was trying to paint himself as the scientist that was having all the weird experiments. But then when the real scientist rolls through the door, then it's like, then who is he supposed... You know, it's like, you can't be like, hey, I'm the lord of the house, I'm Lord Fauntleroy, like, tell me what's up. And then Lord Fauntleroy rolls in. And it's like, well, then who the fuck are you? Like, wh- why are you there? Like, I, I don't know. It, like that, that part of it was kind of weird too. Well, if you listen to the Seventh Doctor, like he never confirms who he that he is the person that the other guy suspects him to be. Right, right. He just keeps like asking questions back. Yeah. To try and like figure out, okay, what's going on here? Like, why are you looking for this guy? He's just trying to get information out of him without making a denial. Which is a which is I think a Doctor Who trope. Like the Doctor yeah. does that yeah. quite, quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, I was watching this. I I I subscribed to BritBox uh, to watch this episode because I didn't own it, and uh, uh, I I ended up watching um uh, shoot what is it uh, Power of the Daleks the the animated one. Oh, and uh, the second Doctor does that too. He he 
finds a dead body and he just picks up the badge. He's like, okay, I'll just put this yeah, on. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I remember. And they make him out to be like, oh, you must be the inspector from Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I remember when he did that. But but I guess my point is, though, the, the real inspector doesn't show up, though, eventually, right? Like, that's true. He's dead. Yeah, like, like th- that to me, like, that's fine. That's within the confines of the doctor. But it's like, th- doesn't that, you know, doesn't your whole supernatural I'm with the FBI thing fall apart when, like, the real fucking FBI show up next to you and they know you're not FBI? Like, you'd think, like, that would create a problem. But it just it just seems to, like, compound the confusion of the episode in general where you, you know that's when you end up watching the documentary and people are like yeah i don't i don't know what we did i don't, I don't know what's going on like i don't know what this was about like i don't and then and then there were apparently there was some stuff where like mccoy didn't want to say some lines at the end and was like can we just dub these over and then it turned into this whole thing with the director and they got into it or i don't know like it seemed like oh wow there, there was some i don't know it's like it's like are you gonna let that you know, guy talk to you that way or whatever. And I think, I think McCoy's attitude was just like, well, I'm not even saying it on camera. Can I just like, I, I, it's like, can we just do this later to get through the day? Like, I think he was trying to make it easier on everybody. And then it, it somehow it made it worse. Like, I don't, I don't know. But, and then, and then the other thing I, I was kind of confused about, but like, they seem to point to this as like, this is the last, I mean, it's, it's not, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is not the last Sylvester McCoy episode, correct? No, there's like there's like more after this, right? Like, but but was this the last one they shot? I don't know. It made I I don't know. They made it sound that way. Like they were like, this is the rap scene because you know when when control like farts or whatever, and we shot it. You know, like like that was the final thing that we ever shot for the classic Who or something. And I was like, really? And I was like, I thought there were more episodes after this, but I guess they must have I don't know filmed it out of sequence. I don't know what I don't. Uh, it was kind of again uh, compounding my confusion even more was was that aspect as well where I was like this isn't really the last episode of of that classic doctor but there it was the last shot I guess yeah the, the survival is the last episode to air but I believe you're right this was the last one filmed which would also explain why Sylvester McCoy is like can we just end this since we're, you know it's over right right <laughs> right right, right. Uh, yeah. Love- these associations with Ace as Tori from Saved by the Bell because I never made that connection until now. Dude, now now I'm gonna I'm gonna make fan videos. I'm gonna make memes. I'm 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 gonna commission like somebody to draw Tori and Ace together. Like it's gonna be awesome. I mean, didn't you know like Zach Morris is actually an incarnation of the Doctor? Come on, like he can stop he can stop time with his hand and talk to the audience. Come on, he's a he's a Time Lord. Zach Morris is a Time Lord. You've heard it here first. I don't know if he'd be the doctor. He's kind of a douche. <laughs> well, that's fine. He can be a douchey time lord, but whatever. He's got powers, so he's like a, a lamer version of the master. <laughs> the, master <laughs> the master in middle school. Uh, time out. Zach Morris <laughs> is the Villiard. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, now I want uh, someone to do a trailer cut of Saved by the Bell, but to the Doctor Who stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can probably accommodate that at some point. We'll see. Oh, that'd be perfect. <laughs> but who would be the Doctor in it if uh, Zach is going to be the ta- Valyard? Hmm. Oh, I'll have to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Mr. Belding? I don't know. 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I don't have much else to say about Ghost Light. It was weird. I might rewatch it just to figure it out, but <laughs> if you if you do if you do can you can you send us a message and let us know once you figured it out? Uh, I'll give you an update. Like, nope, <laughs> yeah, still right. Don't get it. <laughs> still don't get it. I I mean I expect that's going to be the update, but you know because I I know I'm not like I I did have the notion where I was like I watched it that once and I was like. I think I'm going to watch it again. Maybe I'll figure it out. And then when I watch that documentary, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> I don't I don't think I'm going to figure it out that second time. I think I'm still going to be just as confused as when I watch it a second time. I'm not going to lie. I was about halfway through episode two, and I'm like, I think I think they're playing a prank on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of, I don't know. I'm sorry, Justin, but that's kind of what Blue Cupcakes is, right? Like, I mean, you feel like this shit is weird, right? Like, that, that you feel like somebody, you know, somebody, uh, you know, totally, like, you know, pulled a prank or, or you know, you, 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 what, what's the, what's the Ashton Kutcher thing or whatever, you know, huh. like. Yeah, it's like it's punked. like this is this is a doctor episode that that punked you or whatever. You got punked because you watched freaking Control and Light like through their their weird hijinks. You're like you're like, dude, let's, there's let's a- make that an internet thing and <laughs> try to trick people online to watch Ghost Light. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like there's a there's a caveman who's a butler in this. It's like you got punked. It's like okay, Zach thinks he's about to watch Doctor Who, but he's a about to get punked, yo. <laughs> he said, uh, explain to me what Blue Cupcakes was. First, I, I did Google it, but I did it in incognito mode because I was really afraid of the results. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a, it, I mean, I don't think you're going to find anything about it because it's, it's very much just a, uh, 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 personal, like, idiom that was, like, basically, I had a buddy and, and we would always, like, swap trade paperbacks and everything like that. And and we were trying to figure out, like there were things we found unexplainable. Like I would, I would bring him over and go, can you watch Char's counterattack with me? Cause I don't get this T-sphere stuff. And I just want to make sure I'm not crazy that I think this is confusing. And he'd watch it and go, yeah, you're right. It's confusing. And, and we do this every once in a while, we'd watch things, you know, or we'd read, you know, comic books. And typically they'd usually be Grant Morrison comic books. And we'd be like, did you understand this? And they're like, no, Grant Morrison is tripping balls again. We don't get this. And so <laughs> we were exchanging invisible trade paperbacks. And, and what we had come up with, like between the two of us, you know, whether it was Akira or whatever it was we were watching that we didn't quite get serial experiments lane, like we watch anime and not get it. And so eventually what I came up with was well, there's no such thing as a blue cupcake, right? Like, you don't eat blue cupcakes. Cupcakes are supposed to be, you know, chocolate. They're brown. It's, you know, uh, blueberry. You know, they've got kind of a yellow-brown tinge to them with little blue spots and whatever, right? Like, you know, it, it, for the blueberries, but not, you know, the entire, the, the, the bread is not blue. Like, you don't have blue bread. That's why in science fiction, when you're drinking Romulan ale, it's blue or if you're drinking blue milk like luke skywalker and it's blue it's like this foreign alien thing where it's like there's no such thing as like blue sustenance like we don't eat blue things so i was like dude this is like blue cupcakes like it doesn't make any sense it's just fucking weird because they want it to be weird and that's kind of how i i looked at like grant morrison comic books and so we were exchanging all these trades and 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 then and then my buddy was like you know dude like the character in this, it was like, I think one of the, the main characters in the series, like she, she throws up and when she throws up, like all this blue gunk comes out of his, her mouth. Right. And, 
And 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 when I read it finally, because he he told me, dude, she like throws up blue cupcakes, man. And and I was like, I thought you were just saying it like the metaphor, like we were saying something was weird. But I was like, she really did throw up blue cupcakes, like because it literally like she was like vomiting blue out of the mouth, you know. So after that, it just became a thing where anytime I saw something that was like super odd or out of the ordinary or whatever in popular media and or fiction. I was just like, Oh, you know, like, you know, you know, it's like bat cow is kind of blue cupcakesy, you know, like, like some, something that was just a little off, you know? Nice. But yeah, that, that kind of, that kind of explains that. And I, I think we're kind of done with the, the Doctor Who stuff. So if anybody has any comments, questions, and or concerns, if uh, you want to check out the backlog of our episodes, they can be found on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any angry, angry emails, if you're like, what the hell, like, uh, you know, cavemen can be butlers too. Um, send us your angry emails at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you like listening to the Fanholes proper show, you can check out all of our other spinoff shows. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them, where we talk about comics. And we've got Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, where we talk about Thunderbolts comics, and of course the Fanholes podcast proper show. We can be found on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. We appreciate all the likes and feedback and shares that we get. And before we sign off, Zach, why don't you tell our listeners, where can they find you out there on the interwebs? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at BoardWithFriend. Uh, uh, they can listen to the Board with Friends podcast, where we review hobby games. Uh, we just recently well i don't know when this is airing but we're putting out our 50th episode on that really excited for that one um you can also listen to our off-topic show board with friend b-o-a-r-d and uh on the critical failure podcast where we play rpgs i enjoy listening to all those shows i hope you guys all check those out and this is going to be derek derek wc signing off this is Justin sending you to Java. And this is Zach, and uh, I'm already at Java. <laughs> <laughs>
if you have like an episode from like the fourth to the seventh that you want to make Derek watch, like we can definitely do this again. Oh, let's I do a be, spin-off I, show. Make Derek watch. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can be, I can be the control subject. I mean, I, I was trying to go in order, but that's fine. <laughs> You'll be we can, control. We, can, we we can we can jump. We can jump. Make Derek a proper lady, like, lady like Zach. Make me watch episode. <laughs> it's like whoa. We could turn this into like a mystery science theater thing. <laughs> Like, uh, then Derek's just like no when he jumps out the window. I'm like, like shit, they're yes. gonna you're gonna try to make me a proper lady, start wearing tuxedos and shit. Like Yes. <laughs> oh man. It would be very fun to do that kind of thing. 